Jim Mannion has served as the music director of WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington for more than 20 years, was the program director for its first decade, and was instrumental in founding the station, which went on the air in 1993. Over the years, Jim has also written music reviews and liner notes, booked and promoted shows, and played drums in at least 15 local and regional bands. Our conversation traces Mannion's deep and multivalent engagement with the local music scene. When my mom drove me up here in the station wagon in 1972 to move into Wilkie, as a kid from Evansville, Bloomington had this aura of coolness about it. I was just like, I can't wait to get there. A tremendous um, impact on me when I first got to Bloomington was um, going downtown and finding a record store and seeing an LP there with with a little handwritten piece of paper next to it. And it was an album called Mock Up by a singer named Caroline Payton. And it was a local artist, and it was recorded here, and it was a local label. And that blew my mind. I thought, oh, wait a second. I thought you had to, like, you know, go get signed by Clive Davis or something to to put music out. My first summer in Bloomington was 1974. There was a well-established recording studio in Bloomington then, Guilfoy Sound Studios. And that was the existing label in Bloomington at the time, Barbecue Records. I took a, uh, I convinced my parents, I think it was $100 maybe, they had a multi-track recording workshop that summer. Chief engineer was Mark Hood. There was a garage across the parking lot, and that's where Mark Hood lived with a guy named Jeffrey Morris. And that was on uh, 17th Street. The building's gone now. That was ground zero also for the Bloomington music scene at the time where everybody recorded. There was um, a really creative music scene of folks that were five plus years older than me when I was here in you know my late teens when I first hit the ground running here. There were a lot of great musicians interacting, but the key person really in that uh, period was a guy named Mark Bingham, who was a producer and a songwriter and a band leader. And he had a band called the Screaming Gypsy Bandits that was a confluence of highly talented music school refugees, (laughs) shall we say, and people who were just into the the music of the day. There was a whole series of albums that came out on Barbecue Records between 1972 and 1976. I made myself available as sort of an unofficial intern. I wrote a lot of the press releases. I hung out in the studio and uh, just did whatever I could to help support that music scene. Now, most of those people were gone by uh, 77 or 78. Uh, the band MX80 moved to San Francisco. Mark Bingham and Mark Hood moved to New York City where they tried to establish a studio there. Caroline Payton went on to, she was in Pirates of Penzance. She did a ton of uh, vocal work for uh, Disney Studios. But I still maintain that the Bloomington music scene of today in terms of people 
uh, being eager and motivated to express himself and also to find ways to put their music out. I feel like the influence of that period uh, with Barbecue Records and that whole group of people has moved forward and the younger people of today are influenced by it, but yet they don't even know about it. There's been this continuity of uh, fierce independence here in Bloomington. And yes, uh, there's a, a financial potential in putting out your music, but the way I look at it is the best music in this town really comes from people making music for the sake of making music and the community that comes from playing music together, no matter whether you're an, an old-time contradance kind of band or just, you know, the craziest cutting-edge electro-rock machine. There really is a, a continuity of inspiration there, and I can see it going actually back to Hoagie Carmichael. You know, mm -hmm. you read the history of Hoagie Carmichael. What did he do? He was in high school and had this thing for playing hot music. And what did he do? He rented a space upstairs on the square, his band opened, and he brought a black jazz band up from Louisville. I mean, that could be a basement show today. Right. Where, you know, these kids in town know some hardcore band from Oklahoma City and they're on tour and we're gonna put a show together for them and then maybe the next time that band comes through, they're playing at a more, you know, legit, club or something. So there have been just all kinds of ebb and flow to it, but there really is this, this continuity of creativity here, and uh, it's in the water or something, <laughs> or know, in the limestone. <laughs> in the soft water. You know, I made reference to um, the barbecue record scene and, and all those people kind of scattering by the late 70s but then you know 77 78 punk and everything was was coming on and I was also trying to get a handle on that and there were a few bands here in Bloomington like the Gizmos it was down in Orange County at um, Andy Mahler and Linda Lee's place in summer of 79 and there was this jam session happening with a few members of the then John Mellencamp band and there was a drum set and somebody goes, Jim, why don't you play drums? And I sat down and I played, we played Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones about five times. I had played drums growing up, like I told you, I played tin cans and stuff. I had a few friends that had drum kits, but again, a family of seven, it was piano lessons or nothing. So that was a big moment then, just sitting down and realizing that, yes, this is rock and roll, and I'm Charlie Watts, and <laughs> I'm playing along with these people. And then it was a time to just make up bands in Bloomington and play at street dances, and WQAX had a whole bunch of musicians just hanging out there. So there was a band that um, of QAX people called the Quacks Pistols, as opposed <laughs> to the Sex Pistols. One of the members of that band was Frankie Camaro, who's really gone on to a lot of attention in terms of his <clears throat> surf rock style. So from there, it, it went from the crazy cover band of the Quacks Pistols to a three or four year period with a really creative guy named Kirk Ross. And uh, Conrad Strauss was in that band as well as Frankie Camaro for a while and Andy Cobine, a band called The Riffomatics. We played a lot in clubs. We did a lot of opening uh, sets at Second Story. 
in addition to your engagement with the music scene as an active performer, you've also been a booker, you've been a show promoter, you've been involved with starting music venues. I helped light the fuse uh-huh. for the club that became known as Second Story. In the late 70s, there was a gay disco on Kirkwood called the Omni that I think it's where Crazy Horse is now. And they had to move, and those folks bought the the old Moose Lodge. Uh, it's now the Serendipity Martini Bar. Bullwinkles moved downstairs, and then they had this room upstairs with the stage. And they would do an occasional event, you know, where they said, upstairs at Bullwinkles. But it just wasn't consistent or anything. But um, uh, me and some people, I think Paul Sturm was involved with this, and a handful of other people... There was a burgeoning music scene. There were bands like the the Dancing Cigarettes and all these. By then, it was 1980. We thought, we have to do something in that room. So it was March 1st, 1980. It was a mutual benefit for WQAX and the concept of the new community radio station. It was six bands. It was called the Full Moon Trance Dance. It was on a night of a full moon. It was very cold. It got down to 20 below zero by the time that event was over. But guess what? Over 500 people came out that night and paid a dollar to be a part of that event. This town was so hungry for something new, especially by 1980. The guys from the Bluebird showed up and were like, what's the deal with, the, you know, hmm, something else going on here. So it was sort of special events for a while. And then... Lee Williams came along and you know made the whole thing legit, named the place Second Story, mm-hmm. became the first person to, to book the club. Do you remember the thing called Ur Night? Well, that predates me, but I have heard about it. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like the Ted Mack amateur hour of the local avant-garde. Everyone got their <laughs> 15 minutes of fame. Um, those, those nights were... Huh really something. Uh, but, you know, if there's, if there's anything that I feel really, really proud of in this community is being part of, like I say, lighting the fuse for this thing that, that exploded then and that second story went on for a good 25 years, bringing all kinds of music from you know around the country and around the world to this town and also just a tremendous stage for the local music scene and it was a really sad day when that club closed but it also was the the closing of second story was the inspiration for WFHB to start our local live show I didn't have the resources to open the club but we got a venue right here. It's called a performance studio at a radio station. So let's start bringing bands in every week. And we started doing that. And that was that was my gesture. That was WFHB's gesture to help the community music scene stay alive while we were clubless. Uh, Local Live goes on to this day. It's a big part of what we do. We do remote broadcasts that we record and turn into our CDs. But it all goes back to that that night, March 1st, 1980, when we all kind of lit the fuse together.
to Sunday evening at 6 on WFIU's Profiles, Jim Mannion describes his lifelong engagement with radio, from the spell cast by his first homemade shortwave radio to the 17-year process of getting community station WFHB on the air. I'm Yael Cassander.